Hello, we're the Revitalize and Grow podcast, here to give you top tips on how to take your marketing and communications to the next level and help you grow. I'm Jenny, your host, and each week I'll be joined by one of my fellow pros to pick apart various PR and marketing topics, demystify the jargon, and give you some practical tips that you can apply to your own business. Occasionally, we'll be bringing on some special guests for bonus episodes. You can find all the latest episodes and keep in touch with us at adpr.co.uk or find us on all the socials. You can find the handles in our bio. So grab your cuppa and join us and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes. Hello and welcome back to the Revitalize and Grow podcast. I'm Jenny, your host, and today we have a of a um, full house more than usual we've got Kira Jack and Jasmine um, and today what we thought we would do is do a bit of a quick fire Q&A so questions from the audience really quick answers that potentially we do have some much fuller episodes on them but um, actually if you don't want to listen to a full episode then we can give you some really quick fire answers quite common ones really that we come across so um, we've picked out a few and I'm sure we'll cover the others another time so, without further ado, our first question, and Jasmine, we're going to go to you for this one. So, what are the most effective channels and platforms for PR activities to reach my target audience? It's a bit of a mouthful, but... <laughs> so, I think it all depends on your business objectives and your audience. So, first off, you've obviously got to know what and who both of those are. From there, you'll be able to figure out where your audience hangs out. So. By that I mean the publications they read, um, how do they get their news, is it social media, is it TV, online, print, or maybe even podcasts. In terms of actual channels, there's so many. Um, just social alone, you've obviously got Instagram, Facebook, X, TikTok, Snapchat. Um, don't need to do all of them. Do one, do that well, then build on it from there. Um and as I said, knowing your audience will help you figure out which one to go for first. So, for example, I'm older than Kira and Jack. I know that they both use Snapchat and TikTok a lot more than I do. And I know that they probably use those both to communicate and get their news. So that's kind of one kind of area of platforms to look into and to think about. And then I suppose other ones, publications. Again, there's a huge number to choose from. You've got B2B, regional, national. Um, so I think from there, you've probably got to think about whether you're a small business. Do you know if your customer base are within like a 10 or 20 mile radius? If so, then you obviously don't want to be talking to the likes of the Times and the Telegraph because that's not where your readers are going to be consuming their news. Um, broadcast, I think, is often overlooked. Um TV, radio, and podcast all fall within that. So um, podcasts especially, I think, often get forgotten about. Um, a recent survey that was conducted towards the end of last year by Raja, which stands for Radio Joint Audience Research um, and is the kind of official body in charge of measuring radio audiences in the UK, reported that a third of the UK population listens to podcasts now. So it's quite a big amount of people um and then I also think video is another one that's growing um in terms of reaching your audience we're certainly doing more of it as an agency um 
with our clients, it's often quite an easy and engaging way to get your message across. I think it's probably worth keeping in mind that not everybody enjoys reading news from a screen or on paper. So that's often another good way to get whatever you want to get across. Um, and then lastly, I think um, your own channels, your blogs, website, giving your audience the resources they need from your business. And then from there, you can work on your SEO to make sure that they're seeing your content. In a nutshell, there's loads. <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right. I think there's, and this is probably, you know, exactly why this question has come in in terms of the most effective channels and platforms. And as you quite rightly said, there's no one answer is that there's no, we can't say you should absolutely be on this platform and you should absolutely put all your effort into this one channel because it totally depends on who your audience is and what your objectives are. And we cannot answer that you know as a broad stroke can we it's got to you know you have to work on that and it's you know as long as you know who your audience are then you can pick and prioritize as you say don't try to do everything at once it was the same when when tiktok first sort of exploded and everybody all brands everybody wanted to be on tiktok and it's like actually you really need to look at who's there yeah yeah i am not there by the way (laughs) 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 I do I do that thing where I wait as I say I'm a geriatric millennial so I wait for the trends to migrate over to Instagram and then I see them on Instagram yeah Yeah. you know like a proper (laughs) millennial should I feel like TikTok audience is quite a funny one because you've got you know a younger generation like Kira and Jack and then my nan's on TikTok Oh, is she? So, yeah, it's like you've got one complete end of the spectrum, but it's yeah, it's quite interesting. Does she post anything? No, 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 no. She's a lurker. She just sits there and scrolls, but she spends hours on it. I have had some when I'm scrolling, and it just because on the for you thing, it just recommends whoever, and it will just be some random old person. <laughs> Obviously, I accidentally <laughs> uploaded it, and it just comes up. And some of them explode, and I have a couple hundred thousand likes. Yeah, because a bunch of people see them. Yeah, there are. You do come across quite a few older people on TikTok for whatever reason. Yeah, so well, it's another good example. And actually, you do you do need to look at the demographic and look at your audience. You never know. You never know. Okay, I think that's it. We again, we could spend um, a lot on each in each of these questions, but we do want to just give you a bit of a flavour, and we definitely have lots of other episodes to check out. So do if you want a bit of a deeper dive on channels. Um, then have a look. We've definitely got a few that will be relevant for you. Um, so our next question, and actually this leads on maybe very nicely, Jack, onto everyone is on TikTok. Should I be on TikTok? <laughs> Jack? Over the last, I don't know, four or five years, TikTok's kind of exploded. It's got over 1 billion active monthly users, which is just ridiculous. And 2,200, yeah, sorry, 225,000 of those are business accounts. But you do have to consider, obviously, the demographics with TikTok. I think there is a gap for a lot of businesses. I don't think it would be worth doing. You have to analyze kind of the demographics that you're going for, because like we said before, it's younger and older, but there is a big age gap where they're not going to see it. So at ADPR, we're not on TikTok and because our target demographic, they wouldn't see it. And it also, with Instagram, Facebook and all that, it can the images can go across each platform, but TikTok, you have to be completely different, completely unique. 
it's a lot more kind of human side like mm-hmm. serious businessy posts they're not going to do well you need to be more relatable on tiktok and also the trends move so fast on there you could plan to make a video take a week to do it tiktok's already moved on yeah yeah you have to get in there quickly don't you and as you say it's it's a lot of resource it's a lot of time there's you can't always do a lot of you, there's some planning you can do, but a lot of it is sort of off the cuff, isn't it? And yeah, you need to you need to have someone quite on the ball. And as we say, it kind of, there are some businesses that do it really well, don't they? As you say, more maybe consumer focused, um, and they do do great things on TikTok. But yeah, absolutely, it it totally depends on who you're targeting. Um, Anything else on that, Jack? That was that's probably it. We sort of covered it in Jasmine's as well, didn't we? We sort of stole your thunder. Sorry, Jack. We kind that's of went nice. went into it and sort of yeah. started I do talking have some about more notes, but they were discussed. <laughs> 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 Sorry, and we started talking about man's scrolling and all sorts. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, our next our next question. Um, we'll go over to you, Kira. So. Um, how do you stay up to date with industry trend, trend trends, put my teeth back in, and changes in the media landscape? Yeah, so I think a bit like Jasmine's question, there's a lot you can do to stay up to date. So just to give you a bit of a flavor of some of the main things that we do as an agency, so at ADPR, we've got clients in the marine and active lifestyle industries. So if we start with how to step to date with industry trends, for example, we do keyword monitoring. So we track spikes in mentions. So that could be coverage or just like keywords in the industry. Um, and we also do competitor monitoring. So we're always keeping an eye out of other trends and key things such as marketing campaigns from other players in the sector, for example. Um, and that sort of ties into our media relations strategy as well. So that's obviously really key to stay up to date with. So all of our media publications, so obviously marketing for ourselves and public relations, but for our clients, that's all trade bodies, as well as if they're a consumer client or the broadcast, print, online, socials, podcasts, pretty much everything (laughs) Jasmine mentioned, um, that plethora of channels. Mm. So we have to make sure we're across all of those and listening, monitoring all the time to make sure we're picking up any of those trends. Um, So yeah, social media is a really important one for that. And it's quite easy also to uh, listen on social media and monitor for all of our client industries. So hashtags, things like influential groups, so thought leaders, industry groups, there's lots that you can subscribe to or sign up to to make sure that you're really staying on top of it um, as much as possible. Uh, Things like trade journals as well um, are really good own industry groups so for example on LinkedIn I subscribe to Girls in Marketing or Famous Campaigns are really good as well they always share these super cool uh, marketing campaigns from normally consumer brands but really helps to also spark ideas and see what trends might be coming up um again networking sorry there's so many (laughs) I know I know It's, it's a challenge isn't it to try and and we're in the industry of talking so we find it quite hard to narrow it down and (laughs) quick answer 100% but networking so recently for Hattie Hansen uh one of our clients and actually we're all on the account 
here today, but we went to Slide, which is an outdoor trade show. So you see all the kit ahead for season ahead. So next year, which is obviously a really good way as well, not only to support our client, obviously, and get media there and engage them in what Hattie Hansen's got coming up for the next year, but you also get to see all the other brands <laughs> as well. And then you can kind of identify, you know, those trends as well for your client. But even just content creation and like creative collaboration in teams like we always share things on teams don't we with each other when we're like look at this campaign or look at this really cool piece of coverage so I think that's just really important and obviously it's always within the sectors are clients are in it's yeah it's important isn't it sorry to interrupt you Kara it's it's important to carve because as you say there's so much there and there's so much you can be doing and sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start so it's you know picking those really key places you need to keep up and date with like you said if it's a trade journal or a trade body or a particular set of media titles and carving out the time to do that because it's very easy to say that that's not an important thing that you need to do and actually I've got far more better things I need to do in the morning than sit down and read my particular trade magazine and it feels like it's lacking off you're not <laughs> you're not slacking <laughs> off um but just making sure that actually you know have 20 minutes in the morning that you sit and read and go through the relevant bits of news um yeah. And make it a habit. Yeah, I think that's really important. So it's the second part of the question for staying up to date with changes in the media landscape as well, because absolutely, like you say, you might have lots of tasks on and things to do, but it's so important to carve that time out just to make sure that you're really aware of what's going on in the industry. You're constantly reading all those key publications or listening to the radio, like Jasmine said, sometimes it's overlooked a bit, but the TV Mm. stations are really important for your clients and the podcasts but yeah it is so important to keep up to date with them um media as well with forward feature schedules so where we've got opportunities for our clients and we can tap into them like into the media agenda which can change really quickly Mm. so you know really important to stay up to date with the editorial calendar and we obviously have a really good relationship with our journalists so that plays a huge part in it as well that we're always speaking to them so that does obviously help um but yeah reading key publications for our clients and ourselves is a must but yeah also definitely connections with and that's a really and that's a really good point actually Kira and sorry we said we'd, we wouldn't be long on each question sorry. and then we just talk <laughs> no and then we just keep talking but no um the it's a good point on sort of having those relationships with journalists because actually particularly a, a trades journalist the amount of insight you can get actually when you're just having a chat with them and we might be at a show and we might be talking to them or we might you know it might be just a quick check-in telephone call and actually they are of course across a real breadth of the industry and they know what's coming up and actually often they're quite willing to share and say oh I've really seen a trend in these sorts of things happening and if you can help me with that kind of story that would be great and that just really helps if you've got those good relationships with them so I think that's a, a really key one um okay we'll move on before we, we spend too long on that and um we will go to one one for me um so <laughs> can one of the questions um that came up was can I ask to change plans if a campaign isn't going well or if there's a new initiative to focus on um and in a nutshell, if, I was, if we're going to keep it really short, yes, 
<laughs> um, but for some context, you should have, you know, if you're working with an agency, a really good relationship with them that's really transparent. Um, and you should be continuously monitoring and measuring your campaigns and how well they're going. And if they're not working for, for some reason, you're identifying sort of what's happening and if you need to change tact. And that is absolutely, we always say there's nothing wrong with saying, do you know what, this, this isn't working, this campaign isn't working for some unforeseeable reason and we're going to change tact. And that is not a problem as long as it all still fits in line with your strategy. Um, and it might be tweaking things or it might be fully going back to the drawing board. Um, having said that, um, it is it is also, you do have to remember that sometimes, you know, change doesn't happen overnight. So don't expect to kind of launch a campaign and see the impact in the next, you know, couple of weeks, month. It it does take time. So speak to your agency, get from the very beginning, those realistic timelines should be set out anyway. So you should all kind of be on the same page. Um, but there is a, a certain amount of patience as well as things, as you kind of implement that change. And the second part of that question in terms of if there's a new initiative to focus on, again, you know, I imagine a lot of your agencies are very happy to change and swap things out, you know, within their scope of work. So saying, okay, we won't, we'll focus on this now and, and not this element, but they should also be um, working with you in terms of if it's going to fit into your objectives and strategy. So don't be surprised if an agency pushes back and says, it's a lovely initiative and it's great, but actually this isn't, this isn't the kind of activity that's going to hit those objectives that you want. So we can do it, but it won't, you know, our advice is that it won't fit within that strategy. I think that's it. That's it in a, in a nutshell. So yes, the answer was yes, you can change things, but it's a, um, make sure you're just having that conversation with your agency and they'll be, they'll be very open to that. Is it better to employ someone in house or to hire a PR agency? This is something that comes up quite a lot. Um, and it, again, ties into your business objectives. Uh, sometimes an in-house employee or an assistant can work better. It will depend on the size of your business, your budget. Um, a lot of companies do choose to keep things in-house. Um, and I think there are pros and cons to each side. So you just need to think about what's a better fit for you and the business overall. I think with a PR agency, you'll often get a team of three to five professionals, just depending on the size of the, your monthly fee, um, which of course translates into man and brain power. Um, and then alongside that, within that kind of retained figure, you'll get access to all the tools you need. So that will be databases, media monitoring, reporting, et cetera, all of which would come at a, an additional expense if you were going to keep it in-house. Um, agencies often as well come with quite a few years experience so there's that to think about they're often very um sector sector specific um so for us we've obviously been going for 30 odd years um traditionally marine sector recent more recently kind of active lifestyle sector so we've got 
a lot of expertise within those areas. Um, so that's something to think about whether you want that kind of knowledge or if you're happy to kind of bring somebody on completely fresh. Um, and then I think another kind of big point is that with an agency, there's obviously lots of clients that sit within the roster. So quite often, if we're talking to a journalist for one client and something doesn't quite fit, but we you know, have a light bulb moment and think, oh, well, that might work for another client. We can often try and shoehorn things into each other or we can share opportunities across our clients. So um, that is something that might not be possible if you are in-house um, and if you're only talking to one set of media. Yeah, it's and as you say, and then I suppose the pros of the having somebody in-house as you've got them 20 I was gonna say 24 7 you don't you shouldn't be having your employees 24 7 but you know <laughs> they're working for you full time um and as you say it totally depends on budget what you want them to do um if you've what skills you need them to have because it can be quite expensive to have someone that's an all-rounder that you hire in-house that can actually do all sorts of things and be an expert and all those different areas that we've talked about. Um, but it does, as you say, it does completely depend. Ideally, what you do and what we find a lot of businesses do is that you're big enough to have both because you've got your sort of marketing lead in-house who's handling the overall strategy and doing lots of stuff themselves but actually they've got this kind of extension to their team by bringing in an agency and as you said Jasmine all those extra heads and all those people that are keeping on top of industry trends to support them and be kind of their in-house team out of house I'm doing quotation marks for all people that cannot see (laughs) and I don't know why um Great. You briefly mentioned that if you have someone in-house, they're obviously dedicated to your brand 24-7, not 24-7, but five days a week. (laughs) But I think with agency, we obviously do it. We do it here, but you'll never have the entire team off at the same time. So you always have somebody around to help if you need it. Um, And I assume it's the same across other agencies. I can't imagine that yeah they'll let everybody go off on annual yeah. leave on the same two weeks but <laughs> yeah. apart from us over Christmas because everybody deserves a Christmas break <laughs> I'd say <laughs> okay um whizzing whizzing through um a next question so um Kira if I so someone's asked if I give a journalist or an influencer a product to review and keep They've said, do I have to say in their review, but I think it's, you know, do they have to say, does both the brand and the influencer have to say within that review? Like, do we have a say in their review? (laughs) I think think so. I think so. So, yeah, it's, I guess it's slightly slightly bit different with journalists and influencers because there's really specific um, guidelines for influencers when you're um, either sponsored content for example or having to clarify it's an ad if it's paid for but if it is product there's a few different (laughs) um ways it can happen between like gifting or seeding a product to an influencer or then actually paying an influencer as well so I would advise that you check advertising standards authority that's the ASA so that is um 
the guidelines for influencers in the UK and bloggers. So I would definitely recommend to double check that on a case by case basis, because it would be slightly different. But obviously, if for example, when we do this a lot with our clients, um, particularly with journalists, for example. So our consumer clients, so we work with Harry Hansen. Uh, so that's obviously kit clothing uh, or Polar, which is, uh, you know, tech sports watches, heart rate monitors, um, or even some of our marine clients. So some marine accessories, for example, um, we do seed products to journalists to review so you can absolutely have that conversation with the journalists and have a say in the respect of this is going to this product is going to be in return for a review in the publication or in a roundup for example um under this topic where it's going to be featured um or the test is going to be however long and you can absolutely discuss that but you shouldn't have a say in mm the actual write-up itself that it should be unbiased you Mm -hmm. shouldn't tell them what to exactly say like don't get me wrong you can obviously share all the press materials with them so all the key messages the campaign the initiative you know the calls to action key features about the products you can give them everything you know possible to make sure they're really well informed um and have everything they need but yeah you shouldn't really influence uh the write-up so it's obviously a test and review and yeah. their audiences also if it's editorial um trusting that that's you know an unbiased um, and, and actually they will always look for it's the same for journalists and influencers and it often they will always look for the balanced view so they and they they do look for the they do the pros and cons don't they and they do the things I like and the things oh I you know I wasn't so keen on and often you'll find that they're very I don't think I certainly haven't had it for a very very long time when you're working with an influencer or a a journalist that they're going to be really awful about your product often they just (laughs) won't cover it and that's their way of sort of saying, I didn't really like it. So I'm not, I don't want to badmouth you. So I'm just not going to cover it, um, which is, you know, quite nice. Um, <laughs> but they'll always try to have that sort of neutral view where they're saying these are the bits I liked, these aren't. Um, and actually maybe that sort of feeds into another question that Jack, you were going to cover that someone's asked, which is, should I pay an influencer? Yeah, so obviously as influencers grow, get bigger, a lot of them ask like to ask for money and for a lot of them it is their job, so they need to do that. But I think you just need to consider mainly just your return on investment. So obviously you need to know whether is it going to raise your brand awareness, engagement, are people going to buy your product from it? And if it would be worth it, if you could get the influencers to give you coverage without paying them and just sending them the product. Because obviously that ranges what you're selling and you know, what kind of market you're in. But, you know, a lot of them would be happy to just come on a day out or receive a product and then that would be it. But I think it depends how big you're going to go. See a lot of micro-influencers, they'll be happy without paying. But if you're going bigger and you want to make, you know, more of a a splash, then you're going to have to pay. But there is also the issue with authenticity. If you pay someone, they may feel compelled to be overly positive about your product, which then just kind of affects trust with you and the influencer so and that needs to be considered and long-term relationships as well so if you pay an influencer it might cost some in the short term but long term you build that relationship and as they grow you can grow with them which would yeah just again brings it back to return on investment really yeah 
It does it does vary, doesn't it, as you say? And I think it's definitely different to how it it you way, you know, I'm talking sort of years back when influencers sort of first started emerging. You could just give product and that was it. But actually, as you say, Jack, it's, it's people's jobs now. So they can't, you know, free product doesn't pay the bills for them. They do also need, they do need to be earning money. Um, but there's lots of other ways to work with them as well, isn't there? In terms of like affiliate programs, there, I'm pretty sure we've got an episode somewhere on affiliate programs, but they're worth looking into as well because they're really beneficial for both parties. Um, but yeah, that's, probably it in a nutshell um have we covered all of our questions there's one more which i'm going to do really quickly which is how much should i spend on my pr agency now it will vary according to your own particular needs and your business needs but we can say that as a, a common rule of thumb is that B2B companies should spend around 5% of their revenue on marketing. And for B2C companies, that proportion is often a bit higher. So somewhere between 5 and 10%. Um, so the amount you spend with your agency really will depend on um, their scope of work. Um, if we're looking at that budget as a whole budget for all of the marketing that you're doing, um, it's probably likely that an agency you're working for working with isn't um, isn't doing all of that for you they're doing a particular part of that scope so potentially they're doing media relations or internal comms or social media um and just elements of your marketing campaign so I, I suppose you need to um think about the proportion of work they're doing as part of that overall budget and then and then go from there um and as always we know it's quite annoying we say this quite a lot um there is no no you know rule of thumb necessarily on where your budget goes and that will be down to your business so for for some businesses it makes more sense for you to put more into tv advertising or social media campaigns and because that is where your audience is and for others it's much more focus on email marketing um or print media relations you know it, it really does um it really does depend on your audience and your strategy so um really in a nutshell remember to look at that overarching marketing budget and go from there so that that was um where we'd said you know common rule of thumb it's about five percent of a business's revenue on marketing and for b2b somewhere between five and ten percent so it's a very quick answer um and that wraps us up for this episode so thank you again for listening um if you do want to get in touch please do we love having these questions in as well and um often people don't want to listen to a whole episode so it's quite good to just give some sort of quite short sharp answers and um, please do get in touch you can reach us on hello at adpr.co.uk or come through to us on the website and we will see you next time 